0: Despite recommendations that new mothers breastfeed their infants for at least one year after birth, very few mothers meet this goal. Knowing there are barriers to breastfeeding, social, economic, and beyond, how can we help mothers get past these barriers whenever possible? Further, how can we allay the guilt many mothers feel when they're unable to breastfeed? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Lori Feldman-Winter, associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey at Camden, and an executive committee member of the American Academy of Pediatrics section on breastfeeding. Welcome, Dr. Winter. Thank you for having me. Let's start a little bit with some background information. Can you tell us what the AAP's recommendations are for breastfeeding?
1: The AAP's recommendation for breastfeeding is that except for very rare conditions, almost all mothers are recommended to breastfeed their newborn babies. And by that, we mean breastfeed exclusively, meaning no introduction of any other foods or fluids for the first six months of life. And then to continue breastfeeding beyond the first year of life and continued well thereafter as long as the mother and baby have an interest in continuing breastfeeding.
0: What about the Healthy People 2010 goals for initiating and continuing breastfeeding?
1: Well, when we think about the United States, we do lag behind many other developed and developing countries around the world. So we have recommendations for breastfeeding rates that were introduced really at the beginning of the Healthy People statements and have continued to exist in all of the reiterations of the Healthy People documents. And so our most recent goals for 2010 state that we'd like to see at least 75% of the U.S. population breastfeeding at around initiation at the beginning, and then 50% to continue breastfeeding to six months, and then 25% of mothers to continue breastfeeding to a year of life. And while we have certainly come close to reaching that goal, particularly for initiation all across the country, there are some states that are still lagging behind, particularly in the south-central states. We have a new goal that has emerged because of the persistent low breastfeeding rate at six months and 12 months recognizing that exclusivity plays a big part in whether or not moms reach the 6-month and 12-month goal. And that is the goal to have mothers exclusively breastfeed, meaning to breastfeed with no other introduction of foods or fluids. And initially, these recommendations were set to coincide with the way in which we collect our data on rates of breastfeeding for 3 months and for 6 months. And so the initial target was to see mothers breastfeeding at the six-month target to be at 60% at three months and to be 25% at six months. However, because very few women were anywhere close to those goals, in fact, the rates at the time that they were set, which was at the midpoint of the Healthy People document in 2005, less than half of women in the United States were even close to that goal, it was determined to restate those goals so that we hope to see that at three months, at least 40% of women in the United States exclusively breastfeeding to three months, and at six months, 17%. And just released by the Centers for Disease Control are data that demonstrate that many states have reached that goal, 40% at three months and 17% at six months. And I think that it really depends on where you set the target because we'd like to see more and more women exclusively breastfeeding so that they can reach their overall breastfeeding goals. In addition, we recognize that all of the health benefits that we're going to talk about are related to not only uh, breastfeeding to any extent, but to exclusively breastfeed for the greatest intense, we call that breastfeeding intensity, for the greatest extent possible. And it depends on the health outcome that we're speaking about where that becomes more and more important.
0: You mentioned that some states have lower breastfeeding rates than others. What are some of the social, economic, geographic, and other factors that can influence breastfeeding duration?
1: Well, we know that breastfeeding is least likely to occur In young women, women of lower socioeconomic status, women that have fewer years of education, and also geographically, women, as I mentioned, in the southern Gulf Coast states seem to have the lowest breastfeeding, so there tends to be geographic preferences, and much of that is bound in culture. And so when we talk about culture, we talk about an individual's family background of culture, but we can also talk about the community, and that's where we really start to look at ourselves as pediatricians and healthcare professionals and think about our own culture and the culture that we were raised in and educated in, and think about the types of education and training that we received, and very often the clinicians that practice in the regions with low breastfeeding rates and those that are being educated and trained in similar regions are receiving very little education about how to not only promote breastfeeding but then how to support women's decisions to breastfeed.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM-157. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu. Our guest is Dr. Lori Feldman-Winter, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey at Camden, and an Executive Committee Member of the American Academy of Pediatrics Section on Breastfeeding. And we mentioned cultural attitudes as being possible barriers. What about things like moms who return to work or moms who are uncomfortable breastfeeding in public? What other barriers do you see as being most common? Well, it's
1: true that in New Jersey, when we did a survey looking at why women don't start breastfeeding, why they don't initiate breastfeeding, the most common reason was that they just preferred not to. And many of these women just had poor breastfeeding knowledge. And other research shows that women that learn more about breastfeeding, not even necessarily why to breastfeed, but really the skills of how to breastfeed, the mechanics of how breastfeeding works, they're more likely to begin breastfeeding. But then when it comes to continuing breastfeeding, that really goes back to breastfeeding support and whether or not they're able to reach breastfeeding goals. And that is very strongly related to issues such as going back to work or school and perhaps not being supported in that environment and then not being supported by their siblings or their spouses or their family members, their parents, because they had no experience breastfeeding, and so they're not able to support them both emotionally as well as technically to provide real support when they encounter problems.
0: I often hear new moms talk about guilt surrounding breastfeeding. They feel guilty if for some reason they're unable to breastfeed or if they choose not to breastfeed, or sometimes they'll feel guilty or pressured into breastfeeding when they really don't want to. What are some of your thoughts about guilt?
1: Yeah, I think guilt as an issue surrounding breastfeeding really came to the forefront when we as pediatricians became less complacent about our breastfeeding promotion efforts and really more enthusiastic about our promotion efforts because we recognized that it wasn't an equal decision, that it's very clear from all of the evidence and really mounting evidence that both mothers and their infants and society as a whole have a great amount to gain in terms of the health outcomes as well as the dollars and cents of breastfeeding, reducing health care expenditures because of healthier infants and healthier mothers. And so because of this tremendous support and enthusiastic promotion, I think this idea of guilt came about because there were those that simply, for many reasons, cultural reasons and their upbringing and what they've been exposed to, just were so turned off about the idea of breastfeeding that they found themselves maybe cornered into feeling badly for having chosen not to breastfeed. And so what I say is that in recent studies looking at this issue, what we find is that if mothers are given plenty of opportunities to discuss their feelings about breastfeeding throughout the prenatal period, then the choice to not breastfeed is not really bogged down so much with guilt that mothers who don't breastfeed because they definitely don't want to feel good about their decisions and don't worry and don't feel guilty. Mothers that choose to breastfeed and have difficulties and can't seem to overcome those difficulties for a variety of reasons tend to worry more than feeling guilty about breastfeeding. So there's more of this concern that it's not going to work out because of our lack of support system, our healthcare system, not really being ready to help manage so many breastfeeding problems. Many women encounter difficulties that they might not otherwise encounter So I think that we have a big role to play in terms of overcoming some of the barriers that mothers encounter out there because there are lots of different aspects to having breastfeeding work, both physiologically, having the mother's body and the baby being able to suckle and receive milk from the mother's breast, many different aspects that need to be perfectly arranged in order for the whole system to work just right. And so it requires both support system in terms of peer support or family support as well as the healthcare system to be really ready to handle any of the challenges that arise.
0: Where can physicians learn more about breastfeeding and how to counsel patients about breastfeeding?
1: Well, the American Academy of Pediatrics has a great website for pediatricians where they can receive online information. They can also receive a book, a handbook, that was written by members of the executive committee for the section on breastfeeding we call it the Gold Book, entitled Breastfeeding Handbook for Physicians. And that book was co authored by our colleagues from the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and also reviewed by the American Academy of Family Physicians. So this is really a multi specialty book that really engages all the different perspectives of breastfeeding support and is a good resource. In addition, the American Academy of Pediatrics just completed a curriculum that will be available online for residency programs. So for pediatric, obstetrics, gynecology, and family medicine residency programs, if they are currently not teaching breastfeeding for the up and coming physicians, This is a program that can be easily introduced into the residency program without any additional time, just sort of reorganization, restructuring, so that residents can begin to learn what they need to know in order to effectively support breastfeeding women.
0: I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Lori Feldman-Winter. We've been discussing strategies to improve breastfeeding rates in the U.S., I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM157. And thank you for listening.